This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Stephen Mercer, and I'm an independent educational consultant helping students and families apply to college, and I'm also an adjunct faculty member at the UC San Diego Extended Learning College Counseling Certificate Program. And I'm back today with another episode with a really special guest, um, Dr. Angel Perez, who is the CEO of the National Association for College Admission Counseling, which is a significant organization in the world of college admission, representing over 15,000 members that are made up of colleges, high schools, school counselors, independent counselors, and folks often the not-for-profit or community organizations. And it's really the premier organization that has guided college admission counseling for a long, long time. And Dr. Perez, I'm just thrilled that you're taking time to be here with us today to, to share your observations on what's going on with college admission today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Great. Would you mind, you know, you're, you're new in your role as CEO of NACAC, and I wonder if you just mind giving us a real brief uh, background on your other recent professional roles, because I think it's significant and impressive. Thank you. Um, yes, you're correct. I actually started as the CEO at NACAC on July 15th. So I've been on the job, I believe, about three weeks um, and very, very excited to be here. For me, this is really the, the culmination of this extensive career that I've had in and around college admissions and college guidance. Um, I have worked for 22 years, mostly at institutions of higher education, uh, both in California as well as on the East Coast. Most recently, um, as vice president for enrollment and student success at Trinity College, which is a small liberal arts college um, in Connecticut, where I oversaw areas like admissions and financial aid, but also career development and student success. Um, so really have spent most of my career guiding students from high school to college and now get to represent the 15,000 members across the world who do this work. Excellent. So. You know, the pandemic obviously has had just such a tremendous impact on our lives uh, in almost every aspect of daily uh, and for the foreseeable future. And what I've been talking to folks about in these episodes is how it's impacting college admission. So I wonder if you could share with us your observations on specifically what you see happening in admission offices across the country. How is the pandemic uh, impacting it beyond maybe the obvious? And do you see good things coming out of it, creative solutions, etc.? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There's lots of changes that have been happening because of the pandemic. Um, colleges and universities have really had to rethink everything in the admissions process, not just um, how students enroll, because when this pandemic happened, and I'll give the example, um, you know, the pandemic really started to, to take its, its largest impact in March. And that was right around when we were sending admission letters to students. So right. the senior class had been admitted. Um, and now we were all of a sudden trying to figure out how do we get students to enroll when maybe they haven't seen an institution or just really taking away a lot of the resources that they had available to them. But now that the senior class is, is somewhat enrolled, and I say somewhat because there are lots of challenges there as well, colleges and universities right now are rethinking the admissions process. Um, hmm. A few things that 
have been really interesting to watch over the last couple of months is a huge number of colleges and universities in the country going test optional. Um, And so many schools required the SAT and the ACT for admission. But now because we are finding that it's going to be very difficult for students to be able to take that exam in the fall in person, that many schools are no longer requiring that. Also, colleges and universities are starting to rethink their timeline and whether or not the admission deadlines that they used to require might be a little bit more flexible or might look Hmm. a little bit different. And I think also because many of the things that students would normally provide for evaluation may not be available this year, colleges are starting to think about, well, what do we use as a tool to help determine success in college? The the primary role of an admissions officer is to really try to figure out whether or not a student would be successful at their institution. And so without a, a test score, for example, they might be looking at different kinds of things. And then the other piece that I personally am am a little worried about is, you know, many students would navigate the financial aid process, which is very much connected to the admissions process at their high schools. Many high school counselors would sit down with their students and teach them how to fill out the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. That is not going to happen this year. And we're already starting to see national reports showing Hmm. that many low income and particularly black and Latinx students are not filling out the FAFSA at the rates that they would have by now. Um, And so I'm a little worried about what that means, particularly for low income students in this country, whether this pandemic is going to create a greater divide in the college going space. Um, So, you know, there's a lot there that that is challenged. The, The last part of your question was about what I think could could stay or some of the interesting things that might come out of this. I really do hope that one of the things that comes out of this entire pandemic as it relates to admissions is a more simplicity in the process. Hmm. Um, colleges and universities, and I blame myself, I did this for 22 years, we did not make it easy for students um, to go through the process. It's really bureaucratic. There's a lot of forms. There's a lot of data that you need to provide. You know, I hope that this really makes colleges pause and ask themselves, is what we required really necessary in order for us to make these decisions? If we take away some of these requirements, like testing, for example, might that encourage more students to enter the pipeline and therefore create more access in this country? So one of the my hopes at the other side of this is more flexibility, more simplicity and a more student centered process. Yeah. I think those are really interesting observations about how this, what might uh, be the future consequences of all of this in terms of what the, 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 whether, whether the process of applying to college and the pipeline of applying to college is going to get simplified or not. I know one of the things that has constantly come up on kind of my side of the desk, right, as a counselor working with students and families for the longest time are this strong feeling of not just simplifying, but more transparency, right? So, I think often the students that I've spoken with right now are on one hand happy about the test optional because it seems like this big weight has been taken off a lot of students, um, a burden has kind of gone away, but there's almost this, a, an immediate counter reaction of, but how are colleges going to make a decision and will that be fair? And how will I know I'm you know putting effort into what I, think I ought to do. Right. And so I'm, I'm concerned about that too. Transparency 
is another piece of the puzzle that I don't know if, you know, when, how that will be addressed, but I'm wondering, it seems tied up with the question about simplicity as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we struggled with the issue of transparency for a really long time. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's very difficult for the public to understand what is it that colleges and universities care about. They know about the grades and the test scores, but most colleges use a term called holistic, right? That we will right. review your application through a holistic perspective. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean right. that you take my personality into account? Well, how would you know right. that if you haven't met me? Um, right. And and to be honest, you know, I I rarely use the word fair when it comes to college admissions, and hmm. particularly because many of your viewers might be applying to really selective places like the University of California, which is a highly right. selective system. Um, right. You know, I don't think it's a fair process because you all in selective admissions, for example, you always have fewer seats than the number of students that are qualified. And so I'm not right. sure that I would call that fair. Um, you know, so so I think there's the issue of transparency, but there's also the issue of, of access, the number of seats, and then also the issue of finance. Um, yeah. In this country, we do not finance higher education at a rate that makes it accessible to everyone. Right. Um, right. And so for me, that, that transparency needs to be coupled with the fairness and then the finance. You know, as a former vice president for enrollment, I always wanted to admit many more students than I could. But at the end, there was a financial bottom line, right? There was a yeah. certain amount of money that I needed to bring into the institution as revenue. And there was mm-hmm. only a certain amount of money I could give away as financial aid. Um, and so a big part of my job was balancing the mission of the institution while at the same time making sure the institution remains financially viable. If we lived in a country where our government actually subsidized that education at a higher level, the system might be a little bit more fair. Right. Well, I know in California, right, we have a a tremendous history going back decades of the California Master Plan, which funded the UC and the Cal State and community college system to a degree that, uh, you know, many... Say, say that's why the UC system and the Cal State system and our community colleges enroll so many students and have st- such a strong reputation in the country and perhaps in the world. And yet that state funding has, in, as is in practically every other state, has uh, just com- completely changed, right? And diminished, not short term, but long term. It seems like it's not going back anytime soon. So it's disappointing to many. What's really sad and that some of your viewers may not know about this history um, is that the erosion of the funding for higher education actually began in California when uh, Reagan was the governor. He gave a speech, a state of the state speech um, that based, if I remember correctly, he said something to the effect of the state of California will no longer subsidize critical thinking. Um, and what he meant by that was he was not going to fund the University of California. And as a result, after that speech, there were some announcements made about cuts to the University of California and many other systems across the country followed. We have never risen back to those percentage levels of funding in this country. Um, So again, it's the University of California was like this pillar of excellence um, and this model of what a world class free education could be. But as a result, over the years, um, we have not invested in our schools in this country. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something you also said about FAFSA completion rates and what you're seeing right away, right now with the pandemic. 
Um, that's disturbing. I agree. What do we do about that? Yeah, it is disturbing. I, I think, you know, and, and this is a space where, you know, a, a, an association like the one that I'm in charge of can really make a difference. Um, you know, how do we partner with other foundations, government officials, associations to give support to school counselors who are trying to figure out how they are going to pivot all of their services online, right? And so, you know, a few of my friends who are school counselors at very large public districts around the country, some in California, said to me, you know, Angel, I would normally sit 100 students down at a time in this massive computer center, and we would walk through the 100 plus questions of the FAFSA and help them all figure out how to do it and invite their families to do this. Okay, so what does the online version of that look like? Because if we do not do an intervention very quickly, um, we are going to have students um, who aren't who aren't going to go to college for this very reason. And I will say we already had many issues with students filling out the FAFSA because it is a really long and cumbersome form. Um, you know, yeah. I have yep. advocated for many years at the federal level to try to get this form simplified so that more students would fill it out. Um, so I think it's about those um, those in our profession, like me and you, really lending a hand to our colleagues, particularly who serve low-income students, to help um, not only do those kinds of workshops, but maybe even organizations like my own looking for funding where we could really help our counselors on the ground um, ensure that our students um, are filling that out. The other piece, and, and this one is a little bit harder to accomplish, but we continue to fight the good fight is, you know, could we, you know, really lobby the federal government to hmm. make the form simpler this year? And maybe we do that. And then as a result, it stays that way post-COVID. Right. That would be my pie in the sky dream. Okay. So I wanted to shift a little bit and talk about um, not just how admission offices are being impacted. And we already talked about how students might be impacted, but let's talk specifically about high school counselors and those that are advising students on the high school side, like myself, or working in community-based organizations. Obviously, the pandemic has impacted schools in a tremendous way, uh, and it continues to. But what's, what are you ob observing specifically on how school counselors are being impacted in their work? Yeah, there's a lot of different things on the school counselor front, um, besides the fact that, again, so much of the good work of school counselors is being in a building every single day, tapping a student on the shoulder in the cafeteria who didn't show up for the college counseling appointment um, and making sure that there's this follow through. Um, so much of the work that our school counselors do um, really happens in that environment. And so replicating that online is a little bit difficult. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of what I am hearing is that school counselors are having a really hard time getting support from, from some of their own systems on how they might pivot some of these resources online. Also, this is where you know, the, the school to counselor ratio in this country that yeah. is going to be highlighted even more. In a state like Arizona, you usually have over 900 students assigned to one school counselor. And so that in itself yeah. in person is very difficult. Um, but when you now go online and you ask one counselor to serve 900 students, it certainly is an impossible task, right? And so those kinds of issues are, are bubbling up to the surface and, mm -hmm. and a lot of our counselors are, are struggling with how they're going to deliver those services. Um, 
From the school counseling and the college counseling front, a lot of counselors are now struggling because colleges and universities are reinventing the admissions process as we speak, literally as you and I are, are here today. And right. so they don't have a history to go on. Usually counselors knew what the timeline looked like, what colleges required, and they could really share that with students. Now they're not exactly sure how they're going to guide their students because everything is changing on a weekly basis. And so they feel deeply challenged without the, the normal tools that they normally would use. I think that one of the big questions that I hear my school counseling colleagues and my independent consultant colleagues ask is, are these changes and uncertainties and fluid um, deadlines, procedures, rules, et cetera, is this a short, medium term thing or is this going to be long term? And that's the big question we have. Um, nobody seems to know. It's what we like to talk about. Do you have a, I mean, you mentioned there's some things that might persist, like some ch some changes that might stick, but are you observing schools and counselors hunger in for the long haul on this? Or are they looking at this as, a, I want to say, like a medium term, you know, like another several months? What are you what are you seeing? I think it's probably going to be a combination thereof. Um, and I think it depends on, you know, the history of the institution, how selective they are. But the and also their financial position, to, to be really honest. But yeah. but I think, you know, I would actually be really disappointed if a year or two, three down the line, we go back to exactly the same system that we had. Yeah. Um, you know, there were already lots of challenges, inequalities, uh, bureaucratic systems that needed to be deconstructed. And, you know, for example, I talked earlier about the fact that so many schools have gone test optional, but there were many schools that had already done that pre-pandemic. And there was already right. a big movement in this country and a big question mark around what is the value of standardized testing and what does it really tell us in terms of predictability for success in college. So I would hope that at the end of this, that 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 we did sort of think about how do we use this as an opportunity to reinvent a system that was already challenged? Um, yeah. How do we create the system on the other side of this that is more student-centered, that is more flexible, um, and that really, you know, gives students a leg up in the process, um, if you yeah. will. So, so that is my hope. Um, and I do think around the test optional front, and I, I will admit I'm biased, I, I worked the majority of my career at test optional institutions, both on the West and East Coast. Um, I can't imagine that these institutions, after a two or three year pilot study, would go back to requiring the exam when they have admitted classes that they are fundamentally satisfied with and, and excited right. about, right? Um, right? And so I think that some of this will happen naturally as they start bringing in classes that they're actually really excited about. Right. Yeah. I hope so too. So, you know, you mentioned um, access and equity, and that's an issue that has been of deep concern to NACAC, to uh, in general college admission for, for as long as I've been involved in the field, and I'm sure you as well. Um, and recently our nation has been seeing a lot of discussion, a lot of activity, um, some of it's been challenging to observe, uh, but it's also, I think, a lot of folks look at what's going on in our country right now with a little bit more of a hopeful lens. It's an opportunity to protest and have a voice and bring up issues that um, needed to be brought up uh, or have been brought up and maybe need to 
be pushed forward even more now. So I think you're in a really unique position in NACAC and also in your past professional roles to observe what's been going on with access and equity for students and families in the pipeline applying to college. Are you note with what's been going on in our country recently? Are you noticing this impacting college admission? I want to say yet, or is it to come? I think probably both. Um, you know, I, I don't think there is any institution, and by institution, I don't just mean colleges and universities. Mm. I mean, in general, that has not been deeply impacted um, and that is not doing some soul searching around its history, but also, you know, what, asking itself whether or not it actually participates in systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you if you ask me to put my optimistic hat on, that is what I think is the good that has come out of this, that really mm. we have all been forced to think about whether or not we actually, you know, maybe even inadvertently participated in some of these systems. And college admissions is no different, right? I mean, college admissions are often called the gatekeepers and and they are um, college admissions officers really do have a powerful role to play for the how the, the country is shaped in the future because of who it opens doors to or how much money it provides for students and, and how they fund students. And so I do think that this summer has been a summer of reckoning for admissions officers as much as it has been for high school students. Um, What I am seeing, and I'd be interested to see if you're seeing some of this on your side, is students asking different kinds of questions. And and one of the things that has really inspired me about this movement, and remember that I was on a college campus a month ago before I took this job, um, I watched the students rise up and, and really create a movement and move an institution in an entirely different direction. Um, And I think as a result, many students are asking different kinds of questions of colleges and universities. They're also watching really carefully to see how did the institution that I that I'm going to or that I hope to go to, how did they respond in the midst of this crisis? What are the kinds of support services um, they are putting in place or also how is it reckoning with its history? And so I do think that, you know, while maybe not directly impacted right now because the next class has not been admitted yet, I do think college admissions is is really going to see a change in the way it engages with students. It's going to see a change in the way that students engage with them. But also, I will say that many college admissions offices are also right now going through different kinds of training. Um, Some of my colleagues um, that are NACAC members are actually, they told me they're providing training for um, colleges and universities on, you know, systemic racism in admissions offices. How do you t- how do you really sort of hit the nail on the head around implicit bias if you are someone yeah. who's reading college applications? I'm not saying this work wasn't happening, yeah. but all of a sudden it moved to number one on the agenda. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I- I'm noticing a similar kind of thing as I counsel students. Um, something that has always kind of hovered and been part of that counseling conversation, but it's coming to the forefront and, and, and it's easier to talk or there's more substance around how we can talk about it. And what I mean by that is uh, as long as I've been talking with students, you know, students talk about having a preference for being on a campus that has diversity, right? And diversity has almost become just a, a, a good word, but a bit of a buzzword, right? Started to be used a lot 
Um, some college application essays ask about that, students to reflect on what would they bring to a diverse campus. And it's, um, I, I admit, I think a lot of students, especially high school students, right, at their transition from high school into young adulthood, they haven't really reckoned with what, what, are, they, what are they really eat? First of all, they're questioning, why is the co- college asking me this question? How am I, su- quote, supposed to answer, right? What's the right answer? But they're, but they're really sincerely questioning. They know that they want a diverse campus, but we can talk about it now in a different way, in a more substantive way, right? And I ask them, you know, if it comes up in initial conversations or at some point they say, I'd like to be on a diverse campus, you know, in addition to having a particular major or having a certain kind of a level of affordability or whatever it might be. And when I drill down on that to say, well, what do you mean by that? And tell me more about that. Student, almost across the board, every student I talk with has a lot more to say about that right now, right? Um, and different things, which is really, really int- intriguing to me. I thought, I think um, it's also empowered students who felt deeply about these issues, but maybe never felt like they had the space. Um, yeah. And also because of how powerful social media has become. I mean, many, um, many schools created, um, you know, Instagram accounts about the right. black experience on their campuses, not yeah, just at colleges, that. but also in high schools. And yeah. what we are learning from that is really powerful. Um, yeah. And so, again, I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that it's a good thing that the, this has happened. What I am saying is that finally we have created a space in this country where we could be really honest about the issues. And, and my, my guess and my hope is that the young people that you and I are working with, those are the folks that are going to lead the way and, and create a more positive future. They are. That's yeah. for sure. That's why we do this work, right? That's right. And I have to say one of the reasons I've always been so proud to be a part of this world of college admission and to, to put, to really throw my hat in this ring and make this my field and really commit to it. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them has always been from the get go, uh, just an unquestionable commitment to access and equity issues. Um, whether the institution was large or small or high school, or even, you know, even independent educational consultants like myself doing making pro bono work a cornerstone of, you know, how they like to operate. It's just been a, a consistent part of the conversation. And it's, you know, again, personally, a big part of why I've decided to be in this field. So I'd like to just close with, uh, you know, students and families that might be listening to this, students that are applying to college right now or soon, or students that have already been admitted and heading off, families that are maybe thinking about sending their children off, their students off to college, you know, what advice do you have for students right now, given all the upheaval and change? Um, what do you want them to think about or know and manage this process in a way that's educational and healthy and, and rewarding? Yeah, I guess I, I would say a few things. Um, one is that I, I like to remind people, especially in the midst of crisis and, and uncertainty, that you are learning and growing as we speak, um, you know, especially if you're a, an incoming first year student on a college campus or a rising high school senior, 
you are living through one of the most tumultuous times in our history. And so, you know, you are actually training a muscle um, that that you didn't even mm. know you had before. And so you are overcoming all of this adversity and tr- literally take take your life and and recreate it. And while I know that's frustrating and, and creates a lot of anxiety, it's also extremely empowering and you don't see it yet. But when you get to the other side of this, you will. Um, and if you are a high school senior about to embark on this process, know that that is a strength. That is a strength that colleges and universities want to see in you. Um, feel free to tell that story. You know, this year when testing is going to really not be at the front and center of a college admissions process, I think your story is going to matter more than ever. And so, you know, if you were to do some thinking right now in the next couple of months is what is the story I want to tell? Who am I? Um, You know, how have I grown? How will I contribute to a college campus? But I do think that that your own story actually is going to be the most powerful tool you are going to have this year to get you into into college. So don't be shy about it. Be absolutely unapologetic. Great advice. Well, Dr. Angel Pervez, thank you so much for joining us. Just thrilled. Um, good luck in your new role. And as a NACAC member, I'm excited to, for the organization. And I look forward to great things happening and, and participating in those. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Take care.